You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Welcome to Art Smart from Who Arted, your guide to quick and easy art history. We're cutting through all that art world jargon that doesn't make sense to anyone because art is for everyone. Welcome to Art Smart. I'm your host, Kyle Wood. Please make sure you're following Art Smart on your favorite podcast app so you get the latest episodes as soon as they're released. And please be sure to leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. It really makes a big difference to help others discover the show. Now, today we're going to focus on abstract expressionism. When most people hear of the abstract expressionist movement, the first thought is of Jackson Pollock and his drip paintings. While he was probably the biggest name in the movement, the style was extremely varied and consisted of more than just drips and splatters. Willem de Kooning made figurative works. Rothko and Frankenthaler created color fields. But what tied all of these works together was an emphasis on the expressive qualities of art. The Abstract Expressionists, or ABEX, movement was all about the artist making their feelings visible to the outside world. It was spontaneous and highly idiosyncratic, with all different artists finding their own unique mark-making for personal self-expression. I remember talking to another artist a few years ago, and he mentioned how he always loathed the pretentiousness and self-indulgence of abstract expressionism. For some, this was the point where art became inaccessible to anyone who didn't have time to sit reading about art theory and criticism. To the average person looking at these canvases covered in paint that was poured, dripped, and splattered, it seemed like artists had abandoned craftsmanship in order to just play with materials and make a quick buck with some nonsensical rambling statement. The thing is, the ABEX movement, at its best, was about more than that. In some ways, I see the abstract expressionist movement as the next evolution of surrealism, with the exploration of the subconscious. One of the big ideas in modern art abstract art was breaking things down to the basic elements in order to create something that would be timeless and universal. By removing representational imagery, they got rid of clues like fashion that would tie the piece to a specific time and culture. The goal in doing that was to allow it to be more universally relatable so that audiences of any time and any place could see themselves in the work and make their own connections. While abstract expressionism rose to prominence in the 1940s and 50s, it could have come about at any time. The movement was largely centered in New York and effectively moved the center of the avant-garde art scene from Paris to New York. But it could have been anywhere. Interestingly, there are some conspiracy theories that Jackson Pollock was propped up by the U.S. government in a deliberate effort to boost the U.S. as a center of cultural production. I would say it was more about the fact that 
Hitler was vehemently anti-modern art, and he was ridiculing and persecuting artists, leading many great talents to flee Europe for America. But that's probably a topic for another episode. The significance of abstract expressionism was to not only make New York the center of the art world, it pushed modernist ideas about abstraction to their logical conclusion. The abstract expressionists created all-over paintings, meaning there was no one central focal point, but often the entire canvas was equally engaged. They put the emphasis on the materials and the process. Rather than dashing off colors to represent figures from the world around them, the abstract expressionists used lines and colors to convey movement, feelings, and other abstract notions. This set the stage for other movements of non-objective art, focusing on the basic elements in designs that were completely non-representational. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Now, if I were putting together a collection of artworks to help you understand the abstract expressionist movement, here would be some of my top picks. Milky Way by Janet Sobel. I start there because... To my knowledge, she was the first person to be doing the drips and splatters and all-over paintings. I know we often attribute that innovation to Jackson Pollock, but she did it first. Not only that, but Pollock saw her work and commented on how much he liked it a year before he, quote, invented his drip painting technique. Unfortunately, while her star was rising for a little bit, she was in an exhibition of promising female painters put together by Peggy Guggenheim. She moved out of New York and went to New Jersey, and kind of in that, she got away from the center of the art world and kind of lost the momentum that had been building in her career. Next up, I've got Jackson Pollock's number one. Uh, I, I think you really can't have a discussion of abstract expressionism without talking about Jackson Pollock. He's got any number of wonderful drip paintings. Um, number one, for some reason to me, has always stood out. Maybe it's just because the numbering system, number one, feels first. It feels like it's the top. It's the pinnacle. It's um, But... I, I do genuinely like number one. There's a good sense of movement across the composition. We get that that sort of feel of him dancing around the canvas as he dripped and splattered the paint in a technique that took some guts. I mean, think about it. In a time when nobody had seen a painting like that, or not many people had seen paintings like that, it takes some guts to walk into a gallery and say, I laid out this canvas on the floor of my barn. I wandered around and spilled paint on it. Give me some money, please. But Pollock did it. And arguably, he did it well. It's 
not just drips and splatters. It's well-balanced. There's a good sense of movement, all of that. While Pollock was known for his drip paintings and the movement making every inch of the canvas feel active and engaged, Helen Frankenthaler was a pioneer of the soak and stain method. She would apply washes of diluted paints, allowing them to flow and soak into the canvas in organic shapes that create a much more soothing tone. Willem de Kooning's Woman won from 1950-52. To be honest, I always struggle a little bit with de Kooning. Um, looking at this work, it feels like a struggle. It in some ways feels like it was really quickly dashed off. It feels very rough and crude. And at the same time, it is something that he worked on for a great deal of time. It's one of those paintings you look at and you think, man, does this guy know how to draw at all? But if you look at his um, his earlier work, his studies he's done, he could draw as technically accurately as any traditionally trained painter. This work was all about sort of deconstructing the traditional image. We see, I mean, throughout the history of painting, there have been so many figurative studies of the woman, the, you know, the classic Renaissance, like Madonna as the central um, female figure seated, taking up the composition. And in here, he is, he is deconstructing and almost making that grotesque in some ways. He's playing with how do we portray a woman in here? And he's also playing with the materials. We see some paints that are thinned out washes that are dripping and other areas of extremely heavy impasto. We see these warm peachy tones along with some more muted olive greens. We see some of the palette feels like it's in neutral grays and things like that and others where the colors seem really bright and bold and kind of garish. There's this underlying tension to almost everything he did in here. And in some ways, it feels a little painful for me to look at. It's one that I don't enjoy looking at, but it's one that I learn from. And I think this is a piece he created as a learning piece. He's doing this as an exploration of what is painting and what is creating artwork and specifically figurative artwork in the age of photography. What is it the artist can bring to it? And he's sort of laying it all out there for us to see and to ponder. And, you know, it's not my favorite. De Kooning's not always an easy one to look at, but it's definitely one you can learn from. Mark Rothko's Untitled. I guess they're really all untitled. I think pretty much all of Mark Rothko's more mature work is just color fields. It's stacked rectangles of different colors and um, typically they're referred to just by like the colors that he's using. The specific piece I'm drawn to is an untitled painting from 1953-54. It is in the collection at the Art Institute of Chicago. And in this one, we see just different uh, variations on oranges and yellows in those stacked rectangles. I think Part of the reason that I'm drawn to that one is, frankly, it's one that I've seen in person. And I think with Rothko, part of the key is you need to see it in person. 
the photographs that we have really just can't do it justice because what Rothko did was he made these washes of different colors layered on top of each other so that in just the right lighting and especially seeing them in their monumental scale, um, it, it just it takes on this different quality that they almost glow in the light and they seem to be sort of floating in the canvas. In his works, he made abstract expressionist paintings that were not so gestural. They weren't about the mark making the way that Pollock was. It was about these color fields and the expressive qualities of color. Um, Rothko actually thought that his work wasn't about color. He said, if you think it's just about color, you're missing the point. I would say artists are not always the best judge of the significance of their work. So many people do respond to the color and they have an emotional response to that color. But I think in a large way, it really is about the impact of that color. And looking at his body of work with all of these abstract color field paintings, experimenting with the layering and different color combinations, you really can learn quite a bit about just how impactful and beautiful color can be even without representational imagery. Now, those would be my picks. Tell me, what are your favorite abstract expressionist pieces? You can email me, artsmartpodcast at gmail.com, or hit me up on social media at whoartedpodcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Artsmart is an airwave media podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to learn more, check out my other podcast, Who Arted, or go to the website artsmartpodcast.com for more free resources.